Well, people, it's been, unfortunately, it's been too long. Um, we've missed you guys, and we feel bad that we haven't gotten this episode out till now. But sometimes COVID and life happens. And we have to press pause for a little bit, but we're back. We're back, and, and this is going to be the first of many more episodes. Mm-hmm. So... Again, if you're listening, thank you for bearing with us here and being patient. And hopefully in the meantime, you've been binging on all the Golden Globe and Grammy nominees and what else has happened? Any other awards? <laughs> I think those are it. But um... Books. Maybe you've been reading books. Yeah. Or watching things. Yeah. Just watching whatever... Watching the snowfall. <laughs> or watching Netflix or anything Your else. pet. <laughs> We're just happy you're back here with us. And um, today we have a really fun episode. We have a writer-director, Barack Barkan, who made a very cool thriller, uh, horror thriller film uh, that we watched. And we had a great conversation about it. Um, Probably did take place about a month ago, but like we said, we're back and better back than never because uh, it was a very fun conversation. Mm-hmm. So what else have you been up to, Tiff? We have been... A lot of locked up in quarantine. Mm-hmm. Learned to cook really good couscous. Yes. have we forgotten how to podcast i forgot how to podcast and how to talk properly mark had to translate my talking to a random small child (laughs) yeah it was kind of funny it was terrible oh my gosh but i am the child translator and um (laughs) i speak their language my grammatical um not context. What's the word I'm looking for? Syntax? Yeah, my syntax is I have really no idea. off. No, I think it is syntax. So she asked the my kid. My syntax is off. She asked the kid. We, we, we took a, a little outdoor uh, adventure for the first time in mm-hmm. a year, which was mm-hmm. fun. A little outdoors for COVID seemed safe. We went skiing. And she asked the kid on the lift with us, uh, what's your favorite ski part? I think that was the way. Or like area to ski or I don't remember. I think you were like, what's your favorite part part ski or ski part? Part of skiing. It was part of skiing. No, but you forgot the of is the thing. No, I didn't. I just had two masks on so you couldn't hear me properly. Uh, It sounded like you forgot the of, so I Well, anyways, it just sounded bad. His favorite part of skiing was the the trees. Yeah, the tree trails. But, But he didn't answer to anybody, so it wasn't just my fault. Well, he seemed to answer to me. Okay. Maybe because he was a boy, he felt more comfortable. Perhaps. Who knows? <sighs> In any case, that was a fun. That was a fun thing. I, I. We hope our listeners, you guys, have been able to get outside in any capacity. Um, nature. It's it, nature. It's very important. Touch a tree. Feel the bark. Put your dirt face on the dirt. <laughs> well, don't do that. Stick your feet in some dirt. So you're, no, but seriously, there's a, there's a connection there, and I love running around barefoot. Sure, yeah. <laughs> well, 
You did that once in New York City. Oh, that was bad. Yeah, you don't want to do We're that. We're not going to relive that on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. If you live in the suburbs, walk around barefoot. If you live in New York City. Don't do it. Walk around probably with a shield. Yeah. Uh, the opposite of barefoot. Uh, because it is crazy over there. But let's not, we're not going to get into that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> my citizen app had been, has been flaring as if, the, as if New York City is a war zone these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but hey, the news is meant to give you the bad news. That's what I always remember. That's what they taught us in my media class. Mm-hmm. The teacher made a really good point. He was like, don't you ever notice all the news is always bad? Because mm-hmm. that's what people want to watch. Like that get that's get that gets ratings, right? Yes. However, I try to avoid some bad for other um, lighter, lighthearted clickbait, such as what kind of shoe is your horoscope sign, or whatever <laughs> it is. I totally just made that up. What kind of shoe is your horoscope sign? <laughs> Probably. You're a Cancer. Yeah, like like so you're an a emotional slipper shoe. or a, or uh, a Ugg because they're soft and <laughs> soft like a caramel Twix. Ay, ay, ay. Um, <laughs> Mark has been enduring many many um, horoscope related analyzations from me from various dumb Instagram meme. No, I feel things. like every day I learn a new thing about myself <laughs> via my horoscope. But it's really funny because like. They'll say a lot of things, and I'm like, wait, that actually makes so much sense now. He's not your typical Gemini. Oh, I, I read the horoscope and thought I was a very typical Gemini. Okay. I was like, this is me. You're a little bit. No, you are, but also it's, like, better. Like, it doesn't make you only seem, like, two-faced, which is what oh, I would associate that's Gemini what Gemini with. is, like, two-faced. Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah. I'm more three- or four-faced. More <laughs> complex. A little more complex. And you're not just an emotional wreck. Crab, who like <laughs> just is overthinking. You're you could be a, a fun, spunky. Uh, I don't want to know what the answer that's gonna be. No, just like more like uh, uh, I don't know the other signs. More okay. like uh, Aquarius. Dear listeners, for a little background, I just have to admit, even though you shouldn't know this, we're doing this intro in bed and i think Don't it's making them. it's making our dialogue more sleepy or it's making me more sleepy so well i i am most energized in bed my therapist says i should probably turn off the strobe lights while i'm trying to sleep mm, that makes so much sense yeah it does <laughs> um well anyway now that our secret's out mm-hmm. um it's time to go it's time to go and run away <laughs> and leave you with our wonderful guests you're in great hands Barak Barkhan, um, coming to us from, I believe, Israel. And uh, with the power of technology, though, we bring him to your Ears. ear holes. <laughs> so enjoy. And uh, without further ado. Hello and welcome back to episode 21. We're here with Barack Barkan. Barack, how are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. We are really good. So you were just telling us, uh, so you're coming to us from Tel Aviv. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, this is where I am now, apparently. Uh, I've been here for a while now. Did you wait out the whole uh, pandemic there or you came in the middle? 
Uh, I came here mid-March, so uh, I know you guys uh, spoke to uh, Jonathan, who's uh, my writing partner, um, and so we basically came around the same time. So we came. I came here mid-March. Uh, I've been here since uh, from New York, um, where I've been the last eight years. But now it's kind of crazy that I'm I'm in Israel for nearly a year now. Interesting. Oh, wow. So you didn't see that happening. Like you, you considered yourself yeah. very much New York based. That... Yes, I was. I was New York based. New York is my home. Was my home. See, this is where it starts getting confusing now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anymore. I still have a room there. Yeah. Apartment. But yeah, you're waiting to see. You know what happens. I, I think. Uh, I think a lot of people went back to their families. It's just your family happened to be in Israel, right? Yeah. <laughs> But yes, and but the funny thing is, again, and this is what was so weird, is the idea was to come here around April, kind of, you know, before Passover, with just enough time to kind of start pitching uh, our project that I know you, Jonathan and you guys spoke about a bit um, last time, and um, and see if things move forward. And, and then the pandemic just kind of pushed it up by a few weeks, but then at the same time slowed everything down because, you know, the entire world shut down. When you, when you packed in March to go to Israel, did you, did you like, you thought maybe you thought still you'd just be there for a little and then. Yeah, I thought, I thought three months. That was my guess. So what was the biggest thing you, you wish you would have packed that you were like, oh shit, <laughs> if I was here for a year. <laughs> Did you have to like buy a new computer or anything? <laughs> no, I mean I brought my laptop, which is basically what I work off of. But uh, no, I, what I didn't bring was um, that many. Not that it gets very cold here, but it can get rainy sometimes, and I didn't bring any shoes for rain. Oh. But, but luckily, I had a cousin who flew to New York for work right as it was getting cold here, and I was like, "Can you stop by and pick up my my boots?" and bring them here so yeah uh so now i have everything as far as i'm concerned fantastic mm -hmm. um so yeah so now you're in israel we we have some questions about uh you know like i think you're in the perfect place to talk about uh where your love of filmmaking all began i'm guessing yeah uh that that's the question where it all began um, yeah sort of like or, uh or when did you know that you wanted to go into filmmaking yeah um, it did have, it did start here in Israel for sure. Um, I grew up here, um, for most of my life. There were a few years where I spent in London. Um, but majority, uh, of my life I've, I've spent here. Um, and, uh, it, it's, you know, the love of just like watching movies was from a very young age. You know, I have a very, uh, I have a very film buff family. Um, mm. so like watching The Sopranos at the age of nine or 10, you know, I, I definitely have real memories of that, of, of sitting with my parents and, and watching that, it, like an extremely violent show that I don't think any of their friends would be showing their kids. <laughs> and, and that was like a regular occurrence. Um, and then my grandfather uh, at the age of 12 brought me to his to his apartment to watch The Big Lebowski. That was literally the entire reason 
it was like, you're going to go to school today. You're going to get out of school, drive to Jerusalem, and then go watch The Big Lebowski with your grandfather. And it was like, the whole reason he showed me that movie was, I think, to teach me some kind of lesson um, <laughs> about what not to be in life. Oh, my God. And I, just, I just saw that. I just remember seeing that movie and thinking, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. So that was kind of like, I think those, you know, seeing those kinds of things and then even seeing like Animal House, which is like a crazy, you know, comedy uh, also in like third grade. Uh, I remember that very well. Uh, I, I just loved it. And then so I went into high school and I started high school and my high school had a film program and it it just kind of connected. I, I just said like, well, I mean, I spend most of my hours watching these things. I might as well start making it. That's awesome. Um, that they had a film program, like an actual, like, um, yeah. teach you how to make films in high school. Yeah. And I think definitely, you know, th there was the production element of it. And that was super important to like go out there and, and just mess around with the camera and go fail a million times uh, from, you know, at age 15 when like you have nothing to say because you have <laughs> not lived. But right. what was I think this is kind of, and it was a very small program. They picked like 20 kids. You had to try out. And, I mean, like try out. You had to like interview and, and submit an application, which in Israeli standards is, you know, non-existent um, in, in, in academia, in high school. It's, you know, everybody, it's, it's all public schools here. You just, you go and you do it. And, and I'll admit half the reason I, I think I went into it was not only was I going to get to watch and make movies, but it kind of let you stop studying like certain sciences at the age of 16 and 17, which now I think is atrocious. I, I, I think I only learned physics my <laughs> freshman year because they said, well, you're going to be so consumed with the film. They're not going to, you're not going to have time to, to study physics or biology. Um, I think that's awesome. I wish, I wish my school did yeah, that. Same. <laughs> no offense yeah. <laughs> but I think it's, you know, again, I think then you, you, you go to, um, you know, you go to NYU and, and people, people know things because they learned about, you know, how things work in the world and you feel like an idiot. I mean, I, I, anything that's science related, I feel like I had to teach myself um, in a lot of ways. But, but yeah, so, I mean, I feel like I'm rambling, but. Um, no, 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 this is all. This is all really cool stuff. Um, and I love Animal House a yeah. lot. So that's uh, yeah. yeah, I can see how those things, Lebowski and Sopranos, right. really got a good foundation young. <laughs> yeah, well, so, so then, what, so this is, was my other point. My, my other point of that, the high school program is, so they start teaching you film history and, and, you know, just going all the way back to the Lumiere brothers, to, um, uh, to Thomas Edison, um and and i fell in love with that i actually loved it you know i loved uh learning about edwin porter uh learning about the great train robbery and all these just like the the foundation of cinema and moving on and i and and so that to me you know i think from the kids the 20 kids that were there i was the only one that when they said all right we're gonna watch a three-hour film from 1925 I was probably the only going, yes, like, this is great. Like, I can't wait to watch this, you know, silent film, this Russian silent film. And that was, you know, when you start getting exposed to, um, 
just different different outside of Hollywood uh, filmmaking and or you know I'd seen obviously Israeli films but uh, and 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 in Israel you do get a lot of films from Europe but they're not as popular and then all of a sudden you have a film teacher saying like I remember him literally saying this he said all those films that you know your that your friends are going to make fun of you for watching you should go and watch them and I, and I was like all right I'm going to do that and I and I just you know started going through any movie that what that was basically in French or Italian and you know that that just kind of put me down on a path you know they show you the 400 blows and then you go okay well that's amazing and then you start watching modern French cinema which is again readily available in Israel and you start seeing like oh my god they're all stealing from Jean Renoir they're all stealing from from uh, Godard they're all stealing from Truffaut um and and you see the influences and even in American films as well obviously but so that that to me was you know probably the greatest thing aside from then getting to go and make a few short films when you're 15 16 and have nothing to say to the world that's a, a fantastic uh experience um i'm still catching up on my classics um that makes me want to go watch some Italian and French films right now. <laughs> I don't know. I'll send you a list. <laughs> Please do. Also, so did Jonathan, um, did you meet him in school or how did you end up meeting Jonathan? Yeah, we basically connected at NYU. I think we joke about that there was some kind of random, some mutual friends party when I when we were like 20 years old in the army um, that we met for like two seconds and... <laughs> but never really spoke to each other. So remind us um, for, for our listeners, because um, you went in Israel after high school, you go to the army. Right. Um, so then you didn't get to NYU Tish until what age? Uh, I was 22 when I was a freshman. Yeah. Fantastic. So you were like the coolest freshman. <laughs> uh, I don't know about that. No, you'd, help, was, you'd like shotgun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And were you, can we know what department you were in for, in the army or is it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the Mossad. Not in the Mossad. Uh, No, but I was, I was in the infantry. I was, uh, the, the, the equivalent in the U.S. I think is like the Rangers. Um, So I, I forget the Black Hawk Down, you know, that, that movie I watched that. I, I was never in anything as serious as Black, Black Hawk Down, but but that you know the, the small teams that are you know in the infantry and you're doing both kind of like the, the grunt work and then also but then you you know you get like your your special special and I'm putting like big air quotes on special uh, mission every once in a while to go and do something that you know not not every infantry unit does, um, but but I was extremely fortunate. So I was in the service between 2008 and 2011, and there wasn't any major war, any major, major operation happening. There was one when I was um, in the uh, still in basic training, uh, Operation Cast Lead, um, where uh, the IDF was in Gaza, I think for three weeks to a month. Oh, um, right, right, I remember that. Yeah, in the winter of 2008. Um, but um, But yeah, I was so young in the army that, I, they weren't sending me there. That's for sure. Is that um, a unit you chose, or it, it chose you? Yeah, no. It's it's 
both, I guess. Um, I was definitely, and again, this kind of all relates back to what Yonatan and I are writing about now with the miniseries that we've been, you know, pushing through here, um, which focuses on on one of these elite units. And this elite, the unit that we're focusing on is far more elite than the one I served in. Um, but, um, you know, I, I was definitely... When you're when you're in Israel, you kind of get a medical profile, and then you get your mental profile, and and the the one that really counts is is are you physically fit? You know, are you able to hold a gun, and and are your lungs not going to explode when you're running? Is basically what they want to know. Um, so, so once you check that box, then your options are kind of limited in terms of what what you can do because they're going to say well you need to be a fighter because you are physically fit enough to be that and again the standards aren't that high but i did come from you know uh, an environment that that kind of said like well if you're gonna be in this place that you might as well try and go as high as you can um because the 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 oxymoron of it all is the higher you go, the the safer, again, in air quotes, you are from what I would consider is what really sucks about being in the infantry in the army, which is, you know, being one of those soldiers that is put at a checkpoint in, um, in places like the West Bank, where mm-hmm. you're mixing with, with um, civilians. Um, they, more and, places where conflict yeah. is more probable conflict is is forget whether it's probable or not it's it's the the people you you're potentially in conflict with are are just civilians right trying to get in and out of a place whether they're trying to go from west bank into Israel to work and you're there to scan you know and 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 and, you know a pregnant mom will come by and and someone's got a searcher and and you know like i don't want to i did not want to be i saw foxtrot you know foxtrot It's like it's like that checkpoint, right, where the cars pull up. Right, but that whole that checkpoint is like in the middle of nowhere, right? But and and so when someone comes up there, they're freaking out. Where think of right. you're not in one of these checkpoints where it's where it's every day it's packed and 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 you're there. And again, like it's dangerous, but it's also not. And then it really just depends on what the political status is. So I so but if you go into one of these again, air quotes, elite units then you're away from all that. You're supposed to be doing missions that, you know, are said, like, if you're going to use your weapon, it's probably because, you know, you're in a real life or death situation. And the people that you're potentially, you know, using them against are really want the destruction of you and your country. And again, all this stuff is... Right. Less of a gray area, like civilian, political. Yeah. Supposedly, this is like less political. Um, again, I put all this stuff within like the, 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 the aspect of you at, at 18, whether versus, you know, who I am now at 30, 31, um, looking back at it, but, um, yeah. And that kind of segments into my next question, which is what advice would you give to your younger self? Oh man. Uh, in terms of what? It can be anything. It it can be like militaristic or it can be like with filmmaking and your passions or just anything life related. Yeah. Or anything you do differently. right? (laughs) Uh, I mean, I just, you know, I always just wish I was, 
you know, more actively um, curious about the things that interested me. So I guess in a, in a general sense, if anything interested me, I wish I, you know, and that's something that I've learned to kind of force myself to, to be is to be constantly uh, curiously engaged in, in whatever I'm doing um, and not just, you know, think like, well, this, I like this thing and it's cool. So I'm going to try it, but really try and delve into every aspect of it, whether it's filmmaking, whether it's anything else. Yeah. Like, do you think, uh, you were like, what's, what's this H2O thing? I never took chemistry. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Right. That's exactly it. I mean, that's probably why I'm able to know what H2O is now. And and so um, you're writing with Jonathan. I was just wondering also, what are your favorite things about writing? Ooh, favorite things about writing. Um, you know, I think most people who, who write stuff, and I think you guys, you guys are also writers and creators. In, in, yeah. Right? Yeah. It's dread. It could be a dreadful experience. It's mostly a dreadful experience. I mean, it's just it's it's the worst. Um, but I mean, now I'm working on something, and and I don't know. It's it's the delusion that that what you're working on is going to be something that's actually great um, is one thing. But I, you know, I whenever I just get pages down, I, I feel so much better about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm, I'm consistently writing for the first time in, in a while and this whole, this whole pandemic, I, you know, I'm, I'm both between the mini series and then I've got two features. I've already like, I'm two features in already on, uh, you know, on, on rewrites and, and it's just, so that to me has been, has been great for like my personal self-esteem of saying like, I can do it. Amazing. The two features are, are things you'd written before that then you revised or, or... No, I wrote from scratch during the pandemic. Wow. So that's already in kind of a, a revision, you know, working on the second, third drafts. Um That's an awesome experience. I I I had a similar one with I wrote a feature as well. And I think it was the first time during the pandemic, I think it was the first time where I really felt like um maybe it is the pandemic that's helping, but it's like I mean, I was able to make a, a bit of a routine with my writing partner. Um, and Speaking of yeah. writing partner, so what do you think makes a good writing partner? Um, these are really good questions that I wasn't ready for. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. no, it's great. Uh, again, I don't, I don't, I'm not an authority on anything. I'll, I'll just say that Jonathan as, as far as, as a writing partner is, is, is probably the best that there can be. So if you can get Yonatan, then that's a good writing partner. But <laughs> good answer. In a, more, in, in a more general sense, I really do think it's, it's the, when, when both of you know the story that you want to tell, and then there's no ego um, there. And I think that Yonatan and I, there's, there's, I've never felt like any, I mean, he or I, and I think, again, I, I, he'll agree with me on this, that there was any moment where someone was feeling resentful towards the other because their idea was getting pushed through or whatever. I mean, yeah. again, me now, it's so melded where I don't know who had which idea um, at half the time. It, 
right it's like you're 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 climbing the same mountain together and and again i think it's funny that we've been working for basically a year now uh together and i think our biggest argument at one point was and it was funny because we were so self-aware about how ridiculous this argument was about where a character was gonna put the coffee cup (laughs) (laughs) and it really had almost no significance to the scene but we just we both saw the scene we knew where it was taking place what was happening what the actions were and and there was this beat where we needed this person to put down this cup of coffee and 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 it, we both knew where that it was going to go on the floor, but it was like, is it going on the right or is it going on the left? And we both were passionate, like so passionate about where, whether it was going to be on the right or the left. Um, and, and I just, and what, we were what like, did it affect? Like what was on the right or the left side of the room? It wasn't how much it affected so much the, the scene itself. It affected like the, like what would a person logically do, right? And I think this is what you know, what you're hoping for with writing. It's like, okay, you're, you know, you want people to do, to act in a real way. So for us, for me, a real way was, you know, I'll, I'll just take the left. I don't remember. I was probably on the right. <laughs> Putting it on the left. <laughs> yeah, and it, like in that situation, it, it was a whole thing. I'm not going to get into it. It's stupid. It, that's the thing. It's like it was so stupid, but we both felt so passionate about it. So. So again, forget structure, forget character, like, no, forget those things, but like everything from structure to character arcs, to story beats, to all these things, to the the themes and what the show was saying, never was it like an argumentative debate where we got to a point where it just felt like we're not doing the same thing. That never happened. Um, So to me, you know, again, whatever people are looking for, I think you just have to find someone where you're just in so so um, in the same mindset and, and are just set up to tell the same story and then also I guess can work well together. Um, and and I think Jonathan and I have plenty of differences. I'm a morning person. He's like the farthest thing from a morning person. But you know, like I'm fine. With it. I get it. Well, we appreciate you doing this interview then at night. <laughs> yeah, at night in Israel. 7 p.m. is totally fine for me. Don't I want to add to what you're saying about the um, the delusion thing, and I, and I, and that's one word for it. You could, I think, crazy craziness shared. Um, I like delusion because I yeah. think that at the end of the day, yeah, it's when you're writing a screenplay as a blueprint for something, it's on its own. Maybe it's a play, but it really is nothing until it's filmed. So you have to really have this delusion, like you said, that it's gonna get made and. Um, these scenes, these emotional beats are just like so powerful to you and your writing partner that it keeps you going. Um, right. For sure. But I mean, I will say this I mean, as far as like, it's, it's not anything. I mean, I am, a, I am definitely a fan of, of the actual, of the screenplay. So if the screenplay is done and ready, I mean, obviously I want it to get made and I want to see this thing on the screen. And that's why, you know, Jonathan and I have been working so hard on this thing because, you know, we just keep saying, you know, I really just want to see this, you know, really, I want to watch this thing. Um, So, but, but I am at the same time, like if it's a, if the screenplay is written well, you know, I'm I'm very proud of that. You know, I I want to be proud of, of the document. 
Uh, totally. And you can, okay. and it doesn't just cause something doesn't get made immediately. You can bring it around and, and when you least expect it, it gets made or later in your career. Um, yeah, that's what we're learning. I think that is important though. What you just said is that, yeah, you can't fully just look at it as a, you know, it's not a failure if it doesn't get made. It's still this thing that people can enjoy reading. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm a huge script read. I mean, I'll read, I think I'm now reading two or three scripts a week. I mean, oh. I'll watch a movie and read it immediately or now, and then every once in a while I'll flip and read to, and then watch. Um, and, and I mean, I, I, I love it. Like uh, the one of the ones I just did was a promising young woman, uh, which mm-hmm. came out and uh, I, I, you saw it, yeah. And mm-hmm. you know, I I loved it. I thought it was just a great film. And then once I, as I was watching, I was like, I just I gotta read the screenplay. And then, Do you, you like know, usually read after? Mostly um, after, mostly. Sometimes before. Cause that's an, that's an interesting thing to read before. Cause then you're like, how would I make it look? And then when they make it look something right. totally different, you're like, right. And again, like, and by the way, I mean, this is exactly what I'm saying. Like promising young woman is a, is tonally precise and, mm-hmm. and specific. And if you read the script, you know, it's, and this is, I'm saying this is a positive. It's not your, it's not clearly there. Um, in terms of everything from the music and the production design uh, and the wardrobe. Uh, although some wardrobe is mentioned pretty uh, specifically, but, but again, it was, it, was, it was sparse. It just had what it needed. And I'm sure, again, uh, em- Emerald Fennel, right? That's, that's who- Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, probably had like a very detailed lookbook to send to whoever with the screenplay where she didn't need to be writing all those things. And that's, and again, it doesn't make it, it's an, it's still an amazing script. Um, so that's one thing. And then again, there was also just the whole, I don't want to spoil the movie for anyone, but I, there was a great moment where there's a scene with Bo Burnham that is different in the script. And I was, and I had watched the movie and I read the script and I just went, well, this makes so much sense on the page, but if this was in the movie, it'd be terrible. And, oh, and I love that. I love that. Yeah, his character was great. Um, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it's like, and that's what it takes the the director's vision, which in this case was also the writer, right. um, to I think bring that to life. Also, re- reading it after you watch it sounds a lot more fun in some ways than doing the other way around. Because one time I read Bridgerton before Bridgerton came out on Netflix and I didn't know that like if I had known the whole thing would be narrated by Julie Andrews and it would look the way it looked and everything I would have been much more and the music I would have been way more into it and I would have been like wow this is amazing but at the time I was like "Eh." you're like I hope this never gets made no I didn't I didn't No, but like you're like it's not that good I yeah I was just like which is totally okay like whatever and then yeah. And so. now it's like your favorite show. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not favorite, but up there, up there. I like it. Yeah, it's really, yeah. No, totally. That's where the style and the, the visuals and everything comes in. And, and, and I think there's a good transition to... Uh, Wait, also, so how do you... Sorry, I just have one follow-up okay. question. How do you find the screenplays? Are they just online? Online. Uh, Promising Young Woman was on Reddit. I mean, again, like sometimes I'll, I'll find a script and... And I'll be like, is this definitely, you know, the actual script? 
And then there's obviously like the scrub versions where, you know, it's PR companies that are just throwing out like the perfectly finished script where no, you know, like every scene that's in the movie is in the script and, and nothing is different. And it's just like, well, this can't be, I mean, that doesn't exist. Right. Like they rewrote it after. Yeah. I mean, or just polished it, whatever. But, um, the, but still even reading those can be helpful in terms of just like a style because that probably is based off of the writer's, um, you know, actual draft. So, uh, but yeah, I'm just looking, literally Googling and then you find it. I mean, not every script, there's plenty of scripts where I haven't found, but, um, yeah, I mean a lot, it's just, you know, this is, um, you know, we're, we're, this is where we're fortunate where I think 20 years ago, people had to go to libraries or, you know, then, or people were actually buying those uh, scripts, uh, in, uh, in Soho or wherever, you know, they're selling them on the street. Right. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That makes me want to go Google some things. <laughs> yeah, I recommend reading the Matrix script. Oh my God, the the first Matrix script doesn't matter if you love or hate that movie. I mean, the writing is just unbelievable. Every word you can see is so thought out. Wow, I love the Matrix. I definitely going to check that out. Uh, so yeah, as we were saying, this is a great transition. Speaking of writing and visualizing, to uh, your your film. Uh, Silence and Darkness, yeah. uh, your film, which we both just saw last night and loved it. Yes. And I have so many questions for mm-hmm. you. Starting off, um, are the two main actors blind slash deaf in real life? They are not. Uh, they, yeah, that's, a, that's a common question I get, and, that, and I'm quick to state uh, they are not uh, blind uh, and deaf in real life. Um, you well, know, that's a testament to how good of actors they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and um, you know, it was, you know, this movie was shot a while ago. I think uh, as far as um, this this movie was made on on a zero budget, and 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 I've been, you know, the the emotional roller coaster I've had with this film in terms of uh, representation and and what it's saying and and all that stuff, and in terms of the people that we cast has been uh has been like a journey i've i've had to kind of to go through but you know i've and any any uh criticism that that kind of comes my way uh over uh casting um actors who are not blind or deaf to play these roles um i always say is i'm i'm fully uh fully ready to accept to accept it well um, we were not we were not going to go there thinking but... <laughs> on those lines but... That's um, that's unfortunate that people yeah. because you know the I mean obviously I mean, it hasn't really very much occurred I'll say this but but it was something again I I'll, I'm we there was a lot of research done and and we spoke with uh, deaf people we spoke with blind people and and, and we want to make sure they were accurate someone on set or someone as an advisor yeah they weren't on set but they were an advisor yeah for um, uh, Monique Holt uh, she was. Uh, mostly working with Jordan and then uh, also um, uh, Joan Glacken had uh, a coach herself as well um, in pre-production for any ASL uh, related um, questions that we may have had. But um, so let's, before we continue with this, I just want to back up and quickly say to the audience what this movie is about. And then, because I have, yeah, we have so many follow-up questions about what you were just saying. Um, my quick synopsis, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, no, is uh, two um, two sisters, one blind and one deaf. Um, they live in uh, you know in 
sort of the mountains with their father, who's also a doctor, and uh, they seem to have a very uh, cohesive um, buddy-buddy life. They kind of need each other because they each fill the sense that they don't have. Uh, and then sort of as the movie progresses, it's a bit of like a, a psychological, it becomes a psychological thriller, horror, where we start to learn that the father's intentions are possibly, uh, you know, possibly he has something to do without giving spoilers away. He might have something yeah. to do with what's going on with, right. his, with his daughter's health. Uh, right. And it's super twisted. I'm just going to say, I, I, I live in the genre space, uh, and it's just right off the bat, I'm going to say, very impressed. And now knowing it's like zero budget, like what you're able to do um, with that. Um, and really a very unique, new, fresh concept, um, which you often don't see in the low budget horror space. Um, that that yeah. I really appreciated that. It really it kept me on my toes the whole and time. And also, I'm not going to say which scene because I don't want to give it away. But the, there was a very beautiful creative choice and decision of... No uh, audio um, slash no right. visual for one particular. Oh yeah, part something I've never, yeah. we've never. Seen I really liked that a lot. It really caught me off guard, um, and the pacing of that also really caught me off guard because I feel like it was kind of trying to be super realistic to what they were doing, being super vague here because I don't want to say yeah. what yeah. it is. But, um, so but, what was uh, there's filmed- not many spoilers for me in this film, but that that one is could definitely be a spoiler. Mm-hmm. So I'm not right. gonna yeah. So before we get to that though, Tiffany, can we, I want to ask a little more question about the ASL stuff. Sure. Um, so first of all, was that a, was that a decent explanation of the film? Yeah, of course. That was a great explanation of the film. Uh, (laughs) I I would, I would 100% uh, throw that uh, synopsis on uh, IMDb or something. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Um, so with all that said, you know, obviously we're mostly following these characters who are, um, you know, and, pretending to be blind and deaf, very talented actors. Um, I would back to that conversation. I would say like, you know, just, I can't even imagine if you actually were to hire blind and deaf, it would be, you know, maybe for a really high budget thing where you could have an onset translator and that kind of stuff. I I can see how that's more feasible, but um, as a piece of acting, they're very, I'm not trying to make any excuses and I'm not even trying to backtrack the decision in, in, uh, from a sense of, I, I do believe that, you know, these actors could play these characters um, from anyway, but I also understand that, you know, some people don't feel that way and that might be rightfully so. But what I always say, and this is what, what you know, was said in before we even shot single frame of the film is um, that the, the, these characters, even though one is blind and the other is deaf, uh, don't necessarily represent the blind or deaf communities uh, in a real sense um, because of the way they, you know, as you discussed in terms of the, how they live, right? And, and there's this idea that they've been this way for basically their entire lives. Um, and they, everything that they've learned in terms of how to live has been through the prism of their father. Um, and he is not uh, by any means, as far as we know, and you know, as far as I think it's clear from the film, um, uh, an expert or definitely not a member of the blind bit of community. So with that being said, you know, so with all that in mind, and, and again, in the world of the films, as I always say, it's, it's definitely heightened. You know, I think 
when I was trying, even those moments when we're outside of the house and we're seeing them with, we're seeing them interact with townspeople and we're seeing, you know, the father interact with other people, you know, my hope was that you would look at this and go, is everybody really messed up in this place? You know, there's right. not a single like, person feel that feels like an universe. Yeah, exactly. I was like, this isn't really taking place in our world exactly. Um, uh, but so, so in that sense, you know, this was, you know, that, that's why I was more comfortable going into that. Um, right. In and, a way, and, like if you were to have used blind and, and deaf and given that it's almost like real, real blind and deaf disabled actors, um, it's almost like, uh, you know, it'd be like, well, they might be offended for a different reason potentially because it's like, well, we didn't become blind and deaf for these insane reasons that are right. in, in, in the film. It's yeah, it's a different struggle. Yeah. And, the way and then, and then as far as represent, sorry to cut you off, uh, as, as far as representation goes, I, and I always say, you know, as far in, in the film, what I'm super proud of is yes, we have a character that's blind. Yes, we have a character that's deaf. And for anyone that watches the film, I think what, you know, is important to, to note is there's not a single moment in this movie where you know more than they do because of their uh, disabilities. You're never ahead of them because of that. There with this, you know, like you said, it slips into the into the genre of horror thriller. But the most famous trope of using, you know, the horror thriller genre is to say, okay, we have a blind character, so we're going to put the murderer right behind them, and they're not going to be able to say, see. Right, like that. Uh, the movie with like wait until dark. With uh, yeah, Audrey, Audrey Hepburn. Right. I mean, and, and again, the same thing with the deaf character, right? You know, there's, there's this ominous sound that we can hear, but she, but they can't hear. So there, we didn't do any of that, you know, and, and this is part of the themes of the film in terms of perspective and, and being stuck in your own perspective and, and not being able to get out of it. And you, the audience are also limited to your own perspective and what, you know, the storyteller is giving you and you are, I'm keeping you in the dark. I've thrown you into this world and now I'm going to, you know, hopefully sprinkle enough breadcrumbs to keep you engaged and interested. And, and I think the actors and their performances do a, a whole lot of heavy lifting uh, in that regard. And, uh, and hopefully that's enough, you know, for you to want to go on this journey and still not have all the information despite, and again, I want it to be slightly frustrating that you for all intents and purposes, should have the quote-unquote advantage over these protagonists, but you, but yet you don't have the answers either. Yeah, no, being with them, stuck with. I think I think you achieved all of that and more. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, just b- back to the you know representation thing or, or the learning about the deaf. I learned so much. I think we both learned about like how um, people communicate with different disabilities and how a blind and deaf person might communicate with each other. I never considered right. that, that they'd use yeah. their hand so like that. So fascinating. So I'll, I'll quickly say this. Important to note, that language, by the way, completely made up okay. by me and the actors. And when I say me and the actors, I always say, like, I definitely had the idea of how this language is going to look and what, you know, what we were going to use in terms of the language like, of hands. your touch with the blind, yeah, the blind so, person touching the exactly. deaf person. Language based off physical contact. And yeah. and, and the actors, Minna and Joan, really just took it and ran with it in a really beautiful way. 
Um, but there is a language called protectile, which was uh, mm. invented by two deafblind women. So, and they said that, and there's they have a vlog, and it's amazing, and you can watch it and follow along. Um, and they say, you know, they invented this language, and I think it was invented pretty recently, like in the last ten years. Um, wow. Where where they said there there wasn't a language that really represented our community. Um, and this is what this is supposed to be. And, and these two women are just, you know, it, I wrote the script and then I, and then I had the language kind of in my head and then I watched this video and I was like, oh, this is, you know, this is very close to what we're doing. Um, and, and I was, and I love that. And then the one thing I always say that I stole is, um, they had this great thing where the person listening was constantly affirming by tapping, whether it's on the shoulder or the knee of the of the person who's talking kind of to say i'm with you i'm still listening i'm here and i love that i was like that makes so much sense to me this like affirmation tap um right uh as as one person is kind of you know going on um and the other person is listening so so it made like even the listener and you know you visually engaging because they're still there like moving and, and tapping uh, the other person going yeah, I, I hear you or I don't hear you. Um, yeah, no, it was just, it's, just, it's super unique. And like I said, unlike anything I've seen and, and, you know, that's obviously one thing that keeps the uh, viewer engaged, but beyond that um, it's all, it was also just really well crafted and all of your, um, all of your shot choices. And I, I appreciated how few cuts there were. Um, the, the compositions were, were very, you know, lockdown and speak, you know, from, from director to director. Um, I appreciated that a lot. And like once that one scene, when she was, uh, when she was digging, uh, when she was trying to find the location right. of, the, of the, that was like, Oh my, I was like, Oh my God, this is like, it was an amazing conflict to try to find where the, where the father was digging and the way that you solved it with their, um, disabilities was just like perfect. Yeah. And the editing and the, the shot choices. I don't know, just uh, for listeners, it's not going to make a lot of sense unless you see the movie, but um, just like combining the disabilities with the thriller, I, I found really um, right. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, that scene, there, there were a few scenes where definitely when, thank you, first of all, I appreciate that. And, and that was definitely one of those scenes that I remember uh, when, when I was kind of still fleshing out the story and I think the story like it came very quickly once I kind of figured out who was in the house basically and like and the the once I figured out kind of who the father is that really because like I said like every the the way that they live is through his prison so in a lot of ways like once I knew who the father was it kind of lent itself to to what this story is um and then the decision was to okay I know who he is but I don't want to tell anyone else you know uh, and, and I think that's hopefully we're gonna, you know, uh, just always be wondering why. So that, that scene when I was like, okay, well, you know, the, the plot is them trying to find out what happened to their mother. And when that scene came up, I was like, oh, oh, th this, this is, you know, if this, if I can pull this off, this could be one of those scenes that I'll, I'll hopefully be very proud of in the editing room. And, and I remember we shot, by the way, that you talked about earlier how there weren't that many cuts. And for a lot of scenes, we were pretty confident in like 
our minimal coverage. Um, this scene, I remember 13 or 14 different setups. And at the end, I think there's three or four of the shots. And, and the, the scene, the shot that holds the longest where, you know, the camera's on the porch in the corner and she's, you know, at the other end of the porch and kind of the the sister the who's hold, Beth who's holding the shovels going along to the grass and, and at her, Anna's behest. And, yeah, and she's just tapping the grass. Yeah, we and, really, yeah. really liked that part. Yeah, that was, that was just like, you know, the, the last shot before we had to cut to l- go to lunch. And I just remember putting the camera there and going to Omar, like, we finally found the angle. This is it. <laughs> this is the shot I finally it was, it was a fantastic angle mm-hmm. yeah we were just like saying the whole guiding principle one of the guiding principles was if this was a documentary where would you put the camera to capture the entire scene so that was always kind of going into mm-hmm. scenes you know and it wasn't because it was like you know yes we want masters to look nice but we want you know you want to I just thought that you know like you talked about the pacing of this film I wanted people to be engaged and 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 keep them hanging, uh, uh, hanging on every every shot as for as long as I could, and and so that you know was very much kind of lent itself in, in how we chose to shoot the film. Well, I definitely feel like you achieved that for sure, um, and that leads me to one of my questions: What did you enjoy more, writing it or directing it, and why? Oh, uh, I think definitely directing it. Uh, I, I I enjoyed writing it, and and I say it's you know it was, it was definitely the the best story I I, I wrote it till that point, um, but was a, a actually a bad script um, because uh, I wrote it very fast, and uh, I I knew that there wasn't a lot of time to that I would be able to you know put this thing together, um, and and so I. <laughs> I wrote, I think I sent the actors definitely like, you know, a copy with typos, which is something that I hate doing. And is it because you had a shoot date in mind and you had to I, hit yeah, it? Yeah, there, there was a shoot date in mind. And again, we, because this is one of those micro budget films and, and uh, reverse engineered. Uh, so, and, and, you know, you're just thinking like people are going to be available for only a certain amount of time. So we, we have the, to make the Mark Duplass theory of like, what do I have available? Who yes. do I have available? Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, so I just knew we had to, to go and shoot it. But then once we were there, yes, making it was amazing. I mean, it was, you know, it, it that the dream when I think you get out of film school is to, especially if you're interested in being a writer director is to actually go make a feature film. So totally, you know, that, so the fact that I was on set doing it was was um, just served the, the sense of, of what I've been wanting to do for a very long time, more than in writing a, a feature, which I'd, I'd already written a few. So, so I, which when I remember writing a first feature, that was to me felt like the most insane accomplishment. I just, I was like, I can't believe it. You can do it. There it is, 100 pages, 110 pages, whatever. And you're going, it's possible um you know yeah that was a probably a high for a month but this this was you know once we finished production i think there's six weeks where i was just like on a cloud going i I did it i shot a feature i did it you know like and and i remember you you kind of wait on on seeing um the 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 assembly because (laughs) you know that that's that the shoe's gonna drop and you are gonna be so sad so soon (laughs) 
Right. And then you have to build it up. And then it's, you know, at the end of the day, though, it's for, for you know, especially on a low budget. I mean, to be really proud of what you accomplished, um, I think um, it, it fits into the psychological thriller space as a very unique, fresh thing. And what was filming in Vermont like? Oh, I love I mean, Vermont's amazing. Um, it's definitely, I mean, it was, again, it was, it was a perfect location for, I think this story. And, and I hope to like, uh, be able to, I've, I did a few more projects there actually, uh, commercial work and, and music videos. So, I mean, it's just, it's great. You're, you feel like you're in a uh, summer camp in a lot of ways, or I don't know, winter camp, depending on how, you know, when you're going, but, um, it's, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to really answer it except for like, I, I love that place. I, I, I and then I would go to... back and make another film there. Is it somewhere you, you would go and is that house, um, just a place you rented is really great, amazing location mm-hmm. that you found. Yeah. Um, so the, the house does, uh, belong to family of mine. So that's why I knew I could go and film there. I was like, okay, I get three weeks in the house. So I'm going to go and film in the house so it's a fantastic yeah that worked out fantastically where did everybody stay in the house (laughs) love it love it yep 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 so this is a five-person crew film including my mom you know who's doing catering wow yeah and it's well and again it's it's a testament to what you accomplished because at the end when we watched when we saw the end credits once we saw how short they were we were kind of shocked we were like (laughs) okay yeah so this really must have been pretty low budget because but it definitely is better and looks better and sounds better and all of the craft is better than a lot of things with a lot more uh longer credits that go on for minutes um so we usually do a term of episode each podcast episode and today's term of episode is angle so if you could tell us anything that comes to mind when you first hear the word angle or any anecdote you have related to angle um what angle. popped into your head? Uh, I guess uh, ang- angle to me is, uh, you know, you just go like, what's the angle of the story? So it's, it's, again, it goes back to perspective for me. It's like, what from what perspective, from what angle are you trying to like approach a certain story? That's what mm-hmm. popped into my head. Love that. And we also ask each guest how they're coping in COVID. So how are you coping in COVID? uh coping uh <laughs> as far as uh i mean the, it's it's very in israel what's happening now is on the one hand we've got vaccine rollout that you know it's funny to see the coverage around the world and, and in the u.s uh looking at israel being saying like oh they're doing it the best way and and they're and and you know compared to a lot of other countries do you already have it the vaccine so uh, me personally, I have not been vaccinated uh, yet because uh, it's they're doing it by age. I think they're doing it the same way in New York, right? I think it's like certain workers, but then if your general population is at 65 and up or something. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but so so in Israel, we're already, it's funny, they were, they started 65 and up and then, you know, it was uh, hospital workers, obviously, and then people in the education and all different specific jobs that I guess, you know, uh, were deemed more important than others. Uh and then uh, and then they started lowering it. So they got 
to, I think, 40, 45-ish uh, in the range, 45 and up or something. Uh, and, I, and I was like, all right, you know, it's just going to be a few more weeks. And, and again, this was done in a matter of uh, five, six weeks that, where they were able to vaccinate, I think, here, if they post the count. So I think we're at almost 3 million now uh, vaccinated. Yeah, 2.5 2. million have gotten the first dose and then almost wow. 3 million have gotten the second because the country's only having like 10 million people. And, and the country's like 7, 8 million people. Yeah. So, okay, wow. uh, or eight or nine, I, I forget. But um, anyway, it's uh, so that's that's been good. And, and they got to 40, 45, and then they dropped it to high schoolers. They kind of skipped over the, the like 20 to 35 <laughs> range. Oh, my God. And, and, uh, and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess. Uh, I guess this age range is going to have to wait a little longer. I thought it was going to be maybe one to two more weeks. Um, but so that is good that it just is being distributed and that a lot of people are getting vaccinated. But then at the same time, we are, you know, infected by the different mutations that are going on. Uh, we are t- still in the lockdown. Uh, it was supposed to last two weeks. It's just been extended for another 10 days. Um, and, and, you know, so, so everything is kind of shut down here. There's restrictions in terms of the distance you're allowed to leave your apartment. Um, so, you know, it's, I'm fine, but I just, you know, I just want, um, you know, we want things to just, you know, open up here. And especially now that the vaccine's being distributed, I think there's just, you know, people are, are getting a little, um, and again, I, I get, I'm all for staying indoors and, and keeping everyone safe. Um, but, at the same time, you know, at the same time, uh, the beach is calling. The beach is calling, and it, and it, yeah, it, you know, you want to get to work. You want to, you want, you want, you want people to just get get back to. It, it feels like it's close. That's why I think because right and shooting, right, shooting films. I mean, yeah. is anything going there? I know LA closed down. New York is take it or leave it. Um, I think, so I think now they've probably shut down because of the lockdown, but uh, probably right. like the last month that there were some productions back up. Um, but you have know, you been able to see Jonathan in person or has it been, you've been working uh, together remotely? So we'll see each other in person. We sit outside at the distance mostly, but, uh, lately he's been, he, he's a very also talented editor. So he's been hired on a few jobs and we're just kind of now, um, I mean, now we've, we've gotten to the point where we're more waiting on people to, um, you know, give us responses than for the, uh, for the yeah. show. Would you yeah, say your show is the next big thing that you're trying to get made or, uh, and then what about the features? Are you also trying I mean, to get one of those shot? I'll push anything as hard as I can. I, obviously I would love for the show to get made and, but you know, also I want to make movies, but who knows how that's going to happen in the next year or so. In the next feature, can you give us a little, like, the one you want to shoot next out of the two that you wrote? What's uh, a little synopsis? Or, I, I, uh, won't get, no, I won't give you a story. It's, it's, <laughs> I know it's also going to change too much, but I'll say it's Genre. <laughs> different, very different than, than Silence and Darkness in, in so many ways. Yet, I think that hopefully if it gets made in... in I, that people will still be able to see the relationship between the two films. It's more of a character drama, but it's extremely twisted. <laughs> Love it. I'm Mark happy. loves twisted. I'm happy to hear you're well, sticking with the twisted yes. angle. So we'll definitely yeah. have 
have you and Jonathan back whenever that happens uh, or either of you, both of you. Um, so thank you so much, Barack, for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And uh, I hope you guys are coping well yourselves um, and, uh, and, you know, just staying safe and doing well. Thank Definitely. You. And I, we want to say to listeners, buy, rent, Barack's movie. It's on, I know it's on Amazon. Amazon, uh, iTunes. Yeah, it's uh, different VOD platforms, US, UK, Canada. Amazon, I think, is uh, the, the most affordable uh, way to get it. Uh, iTunes as well. And hopefully it'll be on one of the streaming platforms once it ends its, um, you know, VOD run. Definitely. Oh, yes. Yeah. Silence and Darkness, that's mm-hmm. the title. Barack Barkhan, is there any, is it Barkhan, Barkhan? Uh, it's Barkhan technically, but I, I really don't, it doesn't bother me. You don't me. care. Barkhan, no, I don't, I'm not. We love your name, Barack Barkhan. It's a very cool name. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Is there anywhere that uh, you want people to follow you or you're not so big into social media? Not huge in social media. I, I, I just joined Letterboxd. Oh, I love Letterbox. I'm yeah. going to follow you. Okay. Um, Letterbox is a good one. Well, yes. Uh, like Tiffany said, it was great talking. And uh, we'll let you go. We'll let you get to your Saturday night in Tel Aviv. In the and, lockdown, yeah. In the lockdown. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be in touch. And, and, and best of luck. Stay safe. Uh, stay safe out there. Thank you. Thank you.